This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, September 1st. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, candidates vie for a Telluride school board. New film uncovers a pianist lost to history. Eyes to ears with Bella Eatman. And a mountain weather forecast. Five individuals are vying for three seats on the Telluride R1 School District Board of Education. Quentin Strand, David Lavender, Cheryl Carstens-Miller, Ryan Robinson, and Alexis Hodell have thrown their names into the ring. Miller and Robinson are both incumbents. Miller is running for re-election. Robinson is running for the first time. He was appointed to the seat last year after Jenny Ward stepped down from the position. The elected school board members will join Jill O'Dell and Stephanie Hatcher to complete the five-member board. In addition to the Board of Education race, the Telluride School District will also put two ballot measures before voters this November. One is a bond measure to increase funding for the school district. The proposed measure would ask for an additional $36.8 million in taxes, equaling to roughly $140 per year per million-dollar home. Telluride School District Superintendent John Pandolfo spoke about the bond measure on KOTO earlier this year. You know, the fact of the matter is that educational funding in Colorado is near the bottom of the country. Um, where while the cost of living is not. And we really believe that maintaining our facilities and keeping them in good order is a much wiser investment for this community than deferring a lot of that maintenance and then, you know, having to deal with it down the road. The ballot language says the funding will go towards constructing workforce housing, infrastructure improvements, science lab upgrades, and energy efficiency and sustainability improvements. The second ballot measure will ask voters if the town of Rico should be annexed into the Telluride School District. We have students who are coming from Rico, have been coming from Rico for a long time. Their own home school is an hour and a half from where they live. It's just not feasible. Their families come to Telluride. This is where they need to come to school. This is for those kids. Um, And, you know, we don't... They don't have a guarantee to come to school and tell you right if this doesn't happen, so this gives them the guarantee that they need. In order for RICO to join the Telluride School District, voters in the Telluride District and the Dolores County School District must approve the measure. KOTO News will host candidate and issue forums in the lead-up to the election. The school district will hold its election on Tuesday, November 7th, alongside Telluride's election for mayor and town council. On Friday, Telluride officials confirmed Jesse Ray Arguez cured enough signatures to qualify for the mayoral ballot. Arguez will join Mian Fee and Teddy Erico in the race for Telluride mayor. Individuals may register to vote through Election Day. The Spanish filmmaker Fernando Trueba has been a lover of Brazilian bossa nova music through his life. More than a decade ago, in his listening, he came across, he says, The existence of an incredibly good, great Brazilian pianist that I haven't heard ever. And uh, uh, 
trying to find out more things about him, uh, which things he was doing. Then next I discovered he, the reality that he disappeared one day in the streets, of one night in the streets of Buenos Aires. I became obsessed by that. Trueba's obsession became a search for any information available about this musician lost to history. And I started trying to find any person, friends, family, uh, fellow musicians, uh, people who could tell me things to know him better and to understand what had happened to him. Throughout the early 20th century, a rich musical tradition developed in Brazil. Then, in the 1950s, it culminated in a movement all of its own. It was this movement uh, called Bossa Nova, who was really a renewal of what was going on in music at the time, and who was very influential. So our, our, uh, the pianist of our movie, Tenorio Jr., he was very important in, in that period. He was not a famous musician, but he, he was mostly a musician's musician. Tenorio released only one album as a solo artist and disappeared, presumed dead, at the age of 34. But he was hailed as a virtuoso, cherished by other musicians of his generation, a generation of titans, Caetano Veloso, Milton Nascimento, Paolo Mora, Donato. Piecing together the story, Trueba traveled the world for years to speak with these musicians, to ply their memories. So that was, uh, sometimes it was difficult to find some of them, no? And uh, a lot of them, since because it was it's a generation uh, before mine, uh, a lot of them since I did this investigation and all these interviews, and now a lot of them are already dead by now. A lot. And it's very sad for me that. Eventually, it became time to make a film, a documentary tracing the story of Tenorio's life and his disappearance. Trueba constructed a character of an American journalist who discovers the music of Tenorio, becomes fixated, and goes on great travels to uncover the story of his disappearance. He speaks, just as Trueba did, with all the greats of the Bossa Nova movement and tracks Tenorio's fate that night, a fate inflicted by political instability, authoritarianism, and the dubious history of the United States and its covert activities in Latin America. Rather than rehash the story with actors or with documentary footage, the film is animated. The story unfolds in cartoons which are vibrant. The settings leap to life in a mixture of the historic and the fantastic. Trueba's companion, the Spanish artist Javier Mariscal, is the creative force behind the film's visual component. Mariscal says the turn to animation honored the musical essence of the project. Animation is more, is more synthetic. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a nice mm, matrimonium. Match, yeah. Marriage. Working very good. The music and the animation always is like, wow. Mariscal's drawings set to motion have a handcrafted quality, responding to the improvisations of bossa nova jazz. They do not move smoothly. A perfect animation, no. Is is the the audience must to work 
It's not the, we don't make a food for children. We make a food for adults, for people. What we're doing is a product you must to work a lot. It's, it's not easy. Bringing the film to premiere at the Telluride Film Festival, Trueba says, marks the perfect conclusion. Though Trueba has been to the festival only once before, he maintained a friendship with festival founder Tom Luddy. Trueba recalls searching through old emails earlier this year. And suddenly, an email from 2013 from Tom Luddy, so 10 years ago, uh, he's asking me about a movie of a brother of mine. And at the end, he says, Fernando, and uh, uh, what about this documentary on the Brazilian pianist who disappeared? Uh, this is the movie I'm, I must want to, to, to see, or something like that, very nice. And when I saw it, I said, oh my God, I, I didn't even remember that. No? Luddy passed away this spring. So the movie's here, also for him. This latest work, They Shot the Piano Player, is only the second film collaboration between Trueba and Mariscal. But their old friends and the playfulness and gravity shared between them emerges in the work. The film plays three times at the festival this weekend. Viewers who can track it down will be in for a treat. <laughs> A blend of colors and shapes can make your imagination go wild. This week on Eyes to Ears, Telluride High School's Bella Eatman leans into the abstract. Good evening, everyone, and happy half a centennial film festival. Hopefully you cinema enthusiasts have enjoyed it so far, as well as a happy Labor Day. This is the Kodo segment known as Eyes to Ears, and I am your host, Bella Eatman. Today, I am describing an abstract painting that I witnessed at the Mix Art Gallery known as Storyteller by Ingrid Matthews. We cover the canvas in turquoise, a turquoise that varies in greens and blues all across the painting, that which is also accompanied by a tall pine green Mario-esque hill to our right. We cover this with wide, broad strokes of dark yellow-green. This paint also varies in its pigment, thus allowing its own story to form in everyone's eyes. To me, it's like looking through a window into the bottom of a canyon, just barely illuminated by the yellow glow from above. Thank you for listening to this episode of Eyes to Ears, this very short episode. You have probably noticed that I've been delving into abstract art a little more often than usual. While it certainly isn't everyone's cup of tea, I believe that it is important to appreciate that kind of art in a sort of challenge to the human mind, to try and find our own solution that is unique to our viewpoint of the piece in question. But that's just my reasoning. Love or hate art in your own way, so long as it doesn't hurt anyone, including yourself. This has been Eyes to Ears on Kodo. My name is Bella Eatman, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.
Loosen your tongue and break out your notepad. Another evening of poetry is coming to the San Juans. With the start of September comes the next installment of the Bardic Trails poetry series, held by the Talking Gourds Poetry Club. September's gathering will feature poet Rosa Lane, author of four books, including the forthcoming collection Called Back, to be published by Tupelo Press in 2024. Lane's career has taken her across the country and back, and seen her work published in numerous literary reviews. She joins the Talking Gourds from California's Bay Area, where she lives part of the year, spending the rest on the coast of Maine. For those looking for inspiration, Lane's chosen prompt for the evening is The Turn. The Bardic Trails Poetry Series is a co-production of the Wilkinson Library, the Telluride Institute, Between the Covers Bookstore, and the Arts District. September's gathering will take place on Zoom at 7 p.m. on Tuesday, September 5th. To register, visit telluridelibrary.org. As we head into the holiday weekend, regional public land agencies are urging recreators to take extra caution when it comes to wildfire. The Bureau of Land Management, Colorado Division of Fire Protection and Control, West Region Wildfire Council, National Park Service, and the Grand Mesa Uncompahgre and Gunnison National Forests are banding together with reminders to stay safe and reduce wildfire risk. The agencies remind individuals to practice proper vehicle maintenance and ensure no chains are dragging on the ground. Avoid driving and parking vehicles in dry grass or brush. If target shooting, place targets on dirt or gravel. Avoid incendiary targets and exploding ammunition. And bring a shovel and fire extinguisher. Keep campfires in designated rings when possible. Make sure to clear the area from debris. Never leave a fire unattended and make sure to drown, stir, and feel the fire before calling it fully out. Agencies remind individuals fireworks are never permitted on public lands and recreators should make sure to dispose of cigarettes in an ashtray. Results from the Ridgeway Reservoir Small Mouth Bass Classic are in. According to Colorado Parks and Wildlife, 41 anglers participated in the tournament this year, which aims to reduce the population of smallmouth bass in the reservoir to help native fish and water users downstream. Of the 2,820 fish turned in, Lawrence Seslowitz caught the most, a whopping 1,504 fish. Chris Cady came in second with 630 bass. Youth angler Tobias Vigil took third place with 118 fish. Smallmouth bass, introduced illegally to Ridgeway Reservoir more than a decade ago, are predatory fish that can survive in western Colorado rivers, including the Uncompahgre River, which flows from the reservoir. There is a risk of smallmouth bass escaping from the reservoir into the river where they could reproduce and consume native fish species that are found nowhere else in the world. CPW estimates anglers remove 25% of the adult smallmouth bass population in the Ridgeway Reservoir over the course of the tournament. Law enforcement in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, are continuing to investigate a rise of suspected summer drink spikings. Meanwhile, bars are wrestling with how to curb the alleged assaults. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KHOL's Tyler Pratt reports. 
The town has been abuzz since police announced two weeks ago that people going out should be careful. Local online group messages have been full of warnings, primarily for women to be safe and watch their drinks. Some are sharing stories about suspected spikings that have happened to friends. Others have pointed fingers to certain local establishments. Allison Sperry, who also works with KHOL, is a bartender at the Stagecoach in Wilson. She says safety is important to bar staff, but it can be tough to keep an eye on everyone. Certainly I can cut people off, but I have no idea what else they've put into their bodies and what else they've consumed before they came in my door. And while my head is always on a swivel looking around, I can't see everything. Adrian Croak with local nonprofit The Community Safety Network says bystander intervention from bar patrons who may see somebody acting strange or uncomfortable can help. Being aware of people's body language and what their eyes are doing can say a lot. That could look like a body limp on the dance floor, like that could look like someone being sort of dragged or led from one place to the next. And just sort of having in the safe bars training, we call them empty eyes. If someone doesn't have those things, but one person involved does, then that's a red flag. KHOL reached out to several local establishments. The manager of the stagecoach says they now have coasters available that can help detect some drugs and drinks, and staff have taken bar safety courses. The owner of the Rose said they are actively not letting people leave their drinks unattended and have heightened security to look for possible predators. Tyler Pratt, KHOL News. A federal ruling dealt a blow to the proposed Yunta Basin Railway project last week when it sent planners back to square one. But the project, which would connect oil fields in Utah to rail lines along the Colorado River, is not dead yet. So, last Saturday, conservation advocates floated through Glenwood Canyon to highlight the railway's potential impacts to the river. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Hallie Zander reports from Aspen Public Radio. It's a warm and sunny Saturday morning at the Grizzly Creek boat ramp on the Colorado River. Dozens of people are rigging their rafts a few miles east of Glenwood Springs, getting ready to send a long line of boats known as a flotilla down to Two Rivers Park. 350 Roaring Fork and Colorado Rising have organized the event, and Defiance Rafting Company co-owner Gregory Cowan is taking in the scenery. Lots of green, super contrast with the with the Grizzly Creek burn scar as well. But just an absolutely beautiful morning. He's part of a crowd on the river today showing their appreciation for this section of the river as part of a protest against the Uinta Basin Railway. If built, it could bring up to 185,000 rail cars full of crude oil through Glenwood Canyon every year, according to a lawsuit filed against the Surface Transportation Board by Eagle County last year. And the environmental impact statement says the railway would more than double the current risk of an accident, where a rail car could derail, spill oil into the river, or catch fire. But Utah's seven-county infrastructure coalition, one of the partners proposing the project, says it's a safer and more reliable method of transportation than using trucks on local highways. That's according to a promotional video on the Uinta Basin Railway's website. Not only does this high truck traffic lead to increased congestion, maintenance costs, and safety risks for drivers, the flow of traffic is easily disrupted by snowstorms and accidents. But Colorado State Senator Lisa Cutter, who participated in Saturday's flotilla, doesn't buy it. And why do we continue to ship and to make it okay to, to transport this substance that, you know, we're trying to get away from anyway? And she questions what values are driving project managers. 
income and jobs and all those things are important, but like, why do we define ourselves only by that measure? Cutter isn't alone. Gregory Cowan and his wife, Heather Montross Cowan, bought Defiance Rafting Company about six years ago. And since then, there's been a 30,000-acre fire and massive mudslides that shut down access to the river during peak seasons for weeks at a time, multiple summers in a row. But those disasters to Cowan felt out of his control. The Uinta Basin Railway does not. Where we can come in and say, no, you know, we do not wish to introduce this level of risk and potential harm into our community. When a federal judge ruled the railway's environmental impact statement violated the National Environmental Policy Act last week, it sent project management teams back to square one. The judge made the decision in part because the assessment didn't consider the impacts of all that new oil moving south to refineries in Texas and Louisiana. Much would travel along the Union Pacific Line, which hugs parts of the Colorado River, and a spill would contaminate drinking water for thousands. But it would also devastate the local economy. Rafting company co-owner Montrose Cowan says that if there was a spill during peak season... It would shut us down. When your season's three months long, to lose half all is a huge impact. You can't recover from that. Most of Glenwood Springs' tourism industry relies on the river in some way, from rafting companies and hot springs to hotels and restaurants overlooking the water. But for Cowan, the job is a lot more than a paycheck. It's my favorite place. It's where I can go and just shut everything off, and it's just me and whoever's in the raft with me in the river. Montrass Cowan says before owning Defiance, she wouldn't have considered herself an environmentalist. But the river, in a way, changed her. I've seen the impacts of changing weather patterns, more extremes. What has once been a very predictable stretch of river um, is not. I don't think if you had asked me, you know, six years ago if I was an environmentalist, I don't think I would have said that as part of my identity. And now we're standing here and it's a very different place to be. Two hours later, the flotilla arrives at Two Rivers Park, where a small crowd celebrated the ruling with a concert. But environmental advocates know that the project isn't dead yet. On Facebook, officials pushing for the project said they remain committed to the railway, which could mean an appeal or another more comprehensive environmental impact statement. In the meantime, Montrose Cowan and her husband continue to send rafters down the river without knowing what the future holds. But they're happy that the cause has brought out a mix of river enthusiasts. Oil and water don't mix. Well, they do bring us together. Yeah. Look at this. Yeah, it's pretty cool. For Aspen Public Radio News, I'm Hallie Zander. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly cloudy skies tonight with a low around 50 degrees. Saturday, there's a 50% chance of showers and thunderstorms with a high near 70 degrees. Saturday night, there's a 30% chance of showers and thunderstorms with a low around 50. Sunday calls for showers and thunderstorms with a high near 70 degrees. Sunday night should be partly cloudy with a low around 50. This has been the news for Friday, September 1st. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. KOTO News will be off on Monday for Labor Day. We will return with our regular news programming on Tuesday, September 5th. We would like to thank everyone who donated to Kodo during our summer fun drive. A huge thank you to Bob Beer. 
Chris and Jennifer Blanchard, Ashley Bowling, Hilary Borget, Suzanne Chevins and John Wontrowski, David Duty, Drake and Helen Taylor, Jeff Crystal, Carol Berryman, Carrie Ann Berryman, John Berryman, Monty Degenhart, Eliza Gavin, Mickey Norton, Wendy Brooks, Sam Burgess and Jill Wilson, David and Sarah Calicott, Paula Rourke, Teddy Arico, Jennifer Wells, Lance Waring and Laura Colbert, Matt Vietti, Sylvie and Alan Cooper, James Sullivan, Desiree Stokes, Jack Gesmundo, Patricia Getker, Sarah Spencer, Jay Ferguson, Debbie Festi, Delaney Young, William Ficka, Sharon Green, Mesa Own, Russ and Connie Pallone, Paul and Michelle Sherry, and Pam Petty. Thank you all so much. And now, a personal commentary. The Telluride Choral Society is announcing that their rehearsals for Winter Sing 2023 will start on Wednesday, September 6th, 5.30 p.m. at Christchurch. Our artistic director, Hal Adler, has some great music in store for you. There will be a Hallelujah Chorus sing-along and a Barbershop Feliz Navidad and many other holiday pieces. So go to telluridechoralsociety.org for more information and to register. And no experience is necessary, so all are welcome. Just bring your desire to become part of our musical community. Our student singers are directed by Liz Forsythe, and their rehearsals begin on October 4th, grades 3 to 6, 7 to 12. Spread the word. Concert dates for adults and kids will be December 8th and 10th, so put those on your calendar. Wintersing is such a wonderful Telluride tradition. Come join us. Singing has so many benefits, both physically and mentally. This is Ginny Fraser from the Choral Society. And thank you, Kodo. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Kodo. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues. 